In the past 50 years, life expectancy for people in the United States who are 65 years old has increased by about one month per year on average. Many countries, including the United States, are becoming aging societies with more people over 65 than under 15. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Linda Freed, Dean of the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. As part of the journal series in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Institute of Medicine, now called the National Academy of Medicine, Dr. Freed has co-authored a perspective article about advances in healthy aging and the continued challenges of supporting a growing population of older adults. Dr. Freed, in your perspective article, you describe the gains that have been made in the United States in terms of life expectancy for older adults. Have those gains been evenly distributed, for example, by race, by sex, by geography? The first and clear answer is that those gains are not equally distributed. It's very clear that there are differences first in life expectancy, as much as 20 years difference for different demographic racial ethnic groups. For example, if you look across even California, there was a report that showed that Asian American women have a 20-year higher life expectancy than African American men. In addition, and perhaps for similar reasons, there is a very great differential in morbidity and what we would call health span opportunities in the face of longer lives so that people who arrive at age 70 healthy are tracked to stay healthy into their longer lives. But the likelihood of that varies greatly by demographic groups. You mentioned health span. Can you talk about the difference between lifespan and health span? Are older adults spending more time sick than they did in previous years or are the added years of life generally healthy years? So that's the critical question for the 21st century is to find the answers, not just to the descriptive question you just asked, but to the opportunities. So in the 1980s, Jim Fries offered a conception that we had to interrogate the opportunities to create a compression of morbidity, where in the face of longer life expectancy and lifespan, we actually had the opportunity for more health and less disability into those later years. What we're seeing is that, again, the opportunity for health span seems to be distributing very much along sociodemographic lines. We have extraordinary evidence in the last decade, very newfound evidence, that in fact, the subsets of the population who have been the beneficiaries over their life course in the United States of more education, less poverty, more public health, including health-promoting environmental conditions and access to the resources for healthy behaviors, as well as more and better medical care. That combination is shaping something we've never seen before, which is a subset of the population who experiences this is living both longer and with more health, which adds up to a health span that is starting in that subset to get close to approximating life expectancy. That's an amazing advance, and it tells us that this is possible for human beings, but we are not seeing that for other groups who have not been the beneficiaries of prevention and health promotion through all of these means through their life course. Looking at the science of aging, what have researchers learned in recent decades, and what, if any, interventions are being studied in clinical trials? So I think we have learned an immense amount 
we tried to summarize in the timeline in the article in the New England Journal the many lines of science which have created knowledge about what aging means and what it could mean and shaped both the fact that I think what we wouldn't have expected 50 years ago, that aging brings and could bring tremendous opportunities for both individuals and society, conditioned in large part on health, and that health is possible. Where science is now going is exploring, of course, mechanisms, but also interventions to create health, to even slow the process of aging, to diminish the chronic diseases associated with aging, and to unleash in the face of health the opportunities of longer lives, which are unprecedented to be able to recognize and think about. You say in your article that the healthcare of older persons has been influenced by a recognition that some common clinical findings that were previously thought to reflect normal aging are actually important risk factors that require management. So can you give some examples of that sort of thing and the prevention approaches that have been implemented as a result? Sure. Certainly when I was in training in the 1980s, one of the discussion among medical scientists was whether, in fact, cardiovascular disease was distinguishable from aging. That was an open question. And whether prevention would work and matter in older people, that was an unknown. I would say that now we almost take it for granted 30 years later that prevention works and matters and that disease and aging may have shared causes but are not the same processes. So a few examples. One, of course, is the SHEP trial, which showed us that intervention on isolated systolic hypertension was effective and actually markedly decreased risk of subsequent stroke. That was a very big deal and still is. So prevention matters into the oldest ages in regard to isolated systolic hypertension and in regard to stroke prevention. And of course, we have developed a repertoire of approaches both for the individual and in terms of environmental modifications to prevent the and minimize the exposures that put people at risk for stroke and other cardiovascular diseases. I think that's quite a stunning example. And then we, of course, have learned over this time course that health behaviors matter. Physical activity, dietary intake, all of these are critical both to well-being now and to investing in what I would call health futures to prevent chronic disease and perhaps to delay aging itself. You talk in your article about how geriatric medicine has matured into a subspecialty. Why has that field not attracted more clinicians, particularly given the growing population of older adults? And how can more geriatricians be recruited? So that's a critical question, which I think requires some collective work. As you know, I'm a geriatrician, and I can speak from the literature that people who are geriatricians are actually are ranked among the highest of all physicians in career satisfaction. The challenge has been that we have not evolved the health systems to value geriatric medical care the way it needs to be valued, taking great care of older people with altered physiology compared to when they were younger, complex health problems, often including multiple chronic diseases and 
potentially frailty and disability require cognitive investment by the clinician and time. And neither of those are rewarded in our current system. They also require evolution in our health systems to enable geriatricians to use evaluated and effective geriatric care delivery models, both in the clinic and the hospital and in the home and community, to be able to enable the kind of team-based care that geriatrics is so effective at, which actually makes it more cost-effective. All this is going to require major system approach, almost at the health system level, what Matilda White-Riley many years ago was talking about as correcting the structural lag between our current demographics and a health system that was designed in the main a long time ago. So finally, and you've begun just now to answer this, but you do say in your article that societal institutions, including healthcare systems, weren't designed for people living as long as they do now. What kinds of changes are needed at the level of individual practices, at a policy level, to accommodate longer lifespans? Well, I think the first change that we all need to make is to expand our understanding of what the possibilities are for longer lives. The astounding thing to me when I look at the data is that human beings and societies have created these longer lives. We've created the conditions in which people can live longer, and it is unprecedented. We've added 30 years to human life expectancy in the U.S. in the last 100 years, unprecedented in human history. And now we need to ask, are there opportunities, or is this all about death and decrepitude? And the science would say the opportunities are huge, but we have to design to create the opportunities for health in those longer lives, and we need to really move to designing for the opportunities that really enable society to benefit from the fact that we have more older people around. This includes, I think, very aggressive attention to improving and modernizing both medical care delivery and investing in a public health system that is intended to deliver health across the life course so that people arrive at old age healthy and can stay healthy. And we need both population-based and community-based delivery of health through the public health system while we have complementary, effective, and targeted medical care delivery for individuals. Surrounding that, if we understood that aging brings huge opportunities, we would design to bring them out. One example of that is that there's compelling evidence that aging is not just about decrepitude. It's not just about loss of functions. It's not just about withdrawal. That as we get older, we do have the opportunity to get wiser. That the capabilities of older people, cognitively and emotionally, bring assets that society has never had before, and certainly not at scale in terms of human and social capital to actually bring a lifetime of experience and knowledge to bear on the complex problems that we have to confront, both in terms of health and societal. And older people, we now know from the science that's been conducted, bring immense assets in terms of complex problem solving united with values and life stage appropriate goals of wanting to leave a legacy of the world being better for future generations. We have to design our institutions to enable people to use those assets at scale for society as well as within the workplace. And 
there's clear evidence that people who have the opportunity to do that improve their health and function at the same time. So there's a virtuous cycle in terms of that. So how do we evolve? I think there are opportunities in every sector of society to consider how to recognize the assets of aging, how to invest in enabling them and invest in the mattering for all of us. And there are now evidence-based examples of what that looks like and what it could mean in terms of benefiting both the individual and society that we are an aging society. Thank you, Dr. Freed.